This episode of Through My Eyes is brought to you by the Kevin and Harry Enya Family Funeral Home of Little Falls, New York. The family has been serving the Mohawk Valley for over half a century. Our belief is not only that we are guiding and supporting our community, but that we are the community. Visit us at EnyaFuneralHomes.com. Welcome back to Through My Eyes. I'm Ralph Renzulli. I'm very happy to have with me this month, Charlie Pete. Charlie served with the U.S. Army with the 62nd Engineer Battalion. And he was in Vietnam from April of 1967 to April of 1968. Charlie, th- appreciate you taking the time to do this. Welcome. Yeah, no. Thanks a lot. Yeah, welcome. Charlie, I'm going to start you off with, with this question. If I say to you, we only, we only have time for one thing for you to say about the Vietnam War. What would it be? Probably the fact that most of the stuff we did, our hands were tied. We couldn't. There was a lot of things we couldn't do. Mm-hmm. And um, even though I was in the engineers, we still had to pull guard duty and all that kind of stuff on a lot of sites that we worked on. So. Um, there were times that we were told, don't shoot unless they shoot first, which I wasn't—I never was too good at following orders, but um, I mean, I never shot anybody that I know of. So. Yeah. Well, you're not the first uh, veteran to say that, so it's not a unique thing. Okay, let's go back to uh, 1966. You graduated high school in June of 1966, right? and you enlisted after being drafted, you enlisted in October. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that sequence and what was going on back then for you. Well, um, I was working part-time at, at a factory, but um, I worked on housework and lived on farms, helped people, I had friends, and um, then I got draft notice. But I was concerned that if I got drafted, they'd put me where they wanted me, and Figured if I enlisted, I had a better chance. I was going to go in the CBs, but I couldn't get in the CBs. I had a that would have been a 190-day delay in reporting, and I had draft notice for like 45 days. So they couldn't. They would have took me, but. So the army would have got you first. Yeah. So I said, well, I'll see if I can't get what I want. So I enlisted, and I put in for heavy equipment operating and maintenance and. You don't get much heavier than rock crushers. And that was what my MOS was. Okay. Heavy equipment operating and maintenance. Okay. Where did you do your basic training? Fort Jackson, South Carolina. Fort Jackson. Uh, you remember the first day you arrived there? Yeah. What that was like? Can you tell me? Yeah. Mostly what we didn't run into was mostly um, like corporals that were giving the orders and telling them what to do and all that. And they had the chip on their shoulder about this because we were just recruits. At least while I was in Fort Jackson, I don't know how they were in place else, but, mm-hmm. and when I was, the ones I was at, and they were just, in short, they were just jerks. Because that was the only place I ever ran into people like that, pretty much in the service. I mean, I ran into a lot of jerks in the service, but, but you, uh, you know, 
for the most part, if they're, um, you know, they got any rank, they got a half of, they got a little bit, some of them are, are kind of cocky, but most of them were, were pretty decent. So how, how did basic go for you? You got through that okay. Any any particular oh, yeah. memories of it that you'd like to talk about? Uh, no, basic wasn't bad. I was physically fit. You know, I worked on a farm and and I worked with three older guys. I was in my teens, but they were at least 30 or better. And uh, so, I, I mean, I worked, did whatever had to be done, and I was in pretty good shape. And I used to run, well, I lived here in Little Falls, up on uh, Pine Street. But I worked on the farm, the Wittany's farm, it's about four or five miles east of here, around five, Route 5. And um, I, when I was working there, I'd leave my house about 4, 4.30 in the morning, I'd run all the way down. 8 o'clock at night, I'd run back home. But it, so I mean, I was, was in halfway decent shape, so I, the basic wasn't uh, really a big challenge. How many weeks was it? I think we were there, let's see, so about three, let's see, I left there in January, so about three months actually. Uh, I can't tell you exactly how many weeks, but it was about three months. Okay, so after Fort Jackson, you went on to your advanced training. Where did you do that? Uh, Fort Underwood, Missouri. And what did you do? That this is where you got your heavy equipment operator yeah. Uh, training. Yeah. Can you give me a brief snapshot yeah, that of that? Yeah, um, I don't know. The Little Piney River is uh, that's where Fort Jackson's on the located on the Little Piney River, and that's like a wind tunnel, and. Uh, about every day the wind was blowing, and it was well, it was in January, so uh, it was a little cool, you know. But we we worked out. We went out. We, we did all kinds of. Um, we worked on equipment. We uh, drilled water. We drilled wells. We run um, worked on rock crushers and all that kind of stuff. And of course, with all that manpower, when they're when the road's slippery, they don't have sanders other than the guys with the shovels, you know. <laughs> and um, we did a few of them. Sometimes we shovel off two or three truckloads in a day just to get the, for the ice on, the, on all the roads and the tank trails and stuff. And uh, it was cold. We go down, we, we were drilling. And while we were drilling, the wind's blowing right down. You can see the water and the river and the wind's coming right down. It was, but it was, um, it was kind of fun. And uh, there was also a whack detachment on that base, on that post. And that was the funniest part because they would do things and guys would try to go over there to see them, you know, and all that. And their first sergeant, she had a whip. <laughs> it was it was comical. I mean, I never actually, I never got to see any of the shenanigans going on. But one night I was on guard duty in the out on the little piney on the ammo. Well, we had a container with dynamite in it, and um, the sergeant, the guard, comes around. He's he's laughing, and I said, "What's so funny?" He said, "You wouldn't believe what's going on over there at that." Whack detachment, things like that, you know. But didn't do me any good. I was back in the <laughs> on the booties. Boys will be boys, right? Yeah, and uh, 
I think that wax Arden had a worse mouth than most uh, mouth than most men I've heard. The language she used. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was comical just to hear it, you know. Yeah. So, but other than that, it was a it was good training. I the weather wasn't the greatest, but um. We survived. So as you're going through this training, your basic, your advanced training, was Vietnam on your mind at all and thinking that maybe I'm going to get actually, sent Actually, when I was in basic, one day on our little board, it's told every, all kinds of stuff that was coming up and that. Oh, and a little board that was probably as big as this fireplace, but it had all kinds <coughs> of stuff on it. And they had a list of what everybody was going to do, right? Well, it came up on mine and I was going airborne. And just happened this corporal that was in charge of our little group. I said, well, that ain't right. He said, well, yeah, it is. If it's on this board, it's right. I said, no, it's not. So I said, I want to talk to the captain. The captain. He said, well, you can't. you got to talk to me. I said, I want to talk to the captain. I don't, I'm not talking to you at all about it. And that's not right. Oh, yeah. So? Finally, I convinced him. One of the other, uh, actually, a sergeant came by and I said, asked if I could talk to the CEO. He said, yeah, what about? I said, well, this isn't right. He said, well, I don't think that's, a, that's etched in stone anyways. But so we, left, we went over and we talked to the CEO. He said, no. He said, that's just opportunities. If you want to do that, it would, no matter what you sign up for, if you want to sign, change your mind now and go airborne, which is what that said, I said, I don't mind doing all the stuff I got to do, but I'm not jumping out of a perfectly good plane, so, with some guy shooting at me. So, we talked to him, and he said, no, that's fine. He said, no, you don't have to worry about that. He said, your MOS is, you know, uh, heavy equipment operating maintenance, and uh, your next base will be St. Louis, Missouri, or Fort Ledwood, Missouri, and uh, that's what you'll be there. I said, okay, no problem. But that corporal, he didn't like the fact that I went over his head, you know. But I was never one to, like I said, follow orders that great. Right, right. So in an earlier conversation that I had with you, you told me that you actually were in, you were in Germany for a while. After Tell I got back from Vietnam. How did that happen? Tell me about that. Well, it's just... Um, well, excuse me, was that before Vietnam or after? That was, after. Oh, it was after Vietnam. Yep. Okay, then let me back up then, because I had that, sorry, I had that confused. So you're... you're you find out that you're getting deployed to Vietnam. Tell me a little bit about the trip over and what that was like and your impression of that. Well, I, when I went, we went to, um, I went to Oakland and that's, what's Oakland? Yeah, Oakland and the military, they checked you all out, you know. Right. We had, before we left Fort Leonard, we had, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 shots, all this and that. And then we went to Oakland, and we got processed out country to go to Vietnam. And um, it's kind of funny that I had a, my, my blood is almost, it's really dark red, almost black. It's really thick. And the sergeant, the, sorry, the doctor I got, takes a sample of the blood and he says, I hate to tell you this, son, but you're going to have a problem in Vietnam. I said, oh yeah, what kind of problem is that? He said, I said, you can tell that from my blood? He said, yeah, because it's as thick and dark as it is in that heat, it's going to bother you. And it actually did for the first six months. But other than that, and then flying over, we landed in 
play. And um, I keep thinking Midland, but it wasn't Midland. Another um, island that I can't remember the name for right now. Just, but then we went to land in uh, Benoit Air Base, and uh, I was stationed at Benoit or at Long Ben, right, just just outside of Benoit. I just want to back up for a second because I'm I'm interested in what you said about your blood. Why? Did he tell you why having dark? Because of being thick, then you're in, the, it was so hot. Right. Because of the heat, anybody that's got really thick blood uh, has a problem with the heat. So they, so they tell me. Okay. Okay. I met the same guy when I came back from Vietnam. It's the opposite of having thin blood in cold weather, basically. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And when that I, makes sense. I ran into the same doctor. When we came back, they took a sample, and uh, he didn't even look at the sheet. He said, <clears throat> I remember you. He said, nobody else came through with blood that thick, like that. Uh, and that's a year later. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole year later. Yep, and it was just kind of odd that I ran into the same doctor, you know, and he would remember that. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. So you you fly into Benoit, and you're... You, you're you're, you're and we right. bust over to over to Long Bend. Right, which is not too far. It's, in a, no, it's just it's a, right next to each other. I think it was like maybe from where we got off, got on the bus, it was maybe four or five miles, give or take. Because like the air base is here, and we came all the way, we had to come all the way around like that to wait. Of course, it wasn't road jars, so it was four or five miles. What were the first first few days like for you? What did you do? Um, we set up tents to, to live in. Well, we were on base and they hadn't built the, our permanent housing yet. And uh, that's what we did for the first few months. Well, I forgot how many, um, eight or, it was eight or 10 buildings we built. And uh, they were called Adams huts with the louvered sides with tin, uh, with wire inside them and then the louvered boards. And we concrete floors and all that. And uh, we built quite a few of them. The first, probably the first six months, every morning, I was sick. I had to go, and my first sergeant didn't like me because he thought I was goofing off. I just go to the medic and get some of these. I don't know what the pills they were, but after I could take them and go out right out in the sun, and the headache would go away. I don't know what they were, but they were well, some it's called ASA something or other, you know. Mm -hmm. And I just think it was an aspirin substitute. Who knows what it could have been, anything. But uh, they worked, so I'd get, I'd get one every day. And then I could function the rest of the day. I'd be out working right in the sun, you know. So, and I've, I had heat stroke when I was 11. And, uh, well, I had heart trouble since then, too, but I never, I never let it bother me. So, but the heat stroke partly is why I had such a problem with the, with the working out right out in the sun like that, so. But I did my job and. Were you surprised at how hot and humid it actually was when you got there? Yeah, um, when I first got there, it was pretty hot and actually hot and dry. And then as the seasons changed and the monsoon started, it didn't get much cooler. It was, a lot of days it was 90, 95 in the shade. And uh, 
but during the monsoon we had a lot of rain. I mean, it would start raining. It was, I know showers that didn't get that much water. We had, um, in, well, after, after I was there about six months, I went, worked in a quarry, running, you know, uh, drill machines, rock crushers, and low, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. We had a quarry that was probably five or six hundred feet wide and an eighth of a mile long, and it was probably 20 feet deep. Now we're surrounded with rice paddies. Mm -hmm. Overnight, when the monsoon started, we had D7 cats exhaust go underwater. That's how much water went in that in that because it, it, everything seemed to drain that way. It fills right up. Before it fills right up. over top. Well, they figured the exhaust had to have been like eight or nine feet high, top of the exhaust, and they were underwater. And, uh, so you were with, you were with Company A, 62nd Engineer Battalion. Yeah, but what, overall, what was the general mission of this uh, group? We were with? being a construction, uh, well, the first, first um, Five or six months, I drove a tractor trailer, hauled supplies. We had to get a lot of supplies off the off the barges down the, next to Saigon, off the river there, a place called Nye Bay, which was just, I don't know, might have been just a little village or something, but I never got that far out. I just got down to this point. We had to go in, in on, the, on the dock to pick up material. And, um, I think it was Route 16 from Saigon to Longman. It was a four-lane highway, and not it, not us, but I'm United States. Right. Finished this highway off. It was four lanes. It was two lanes each way, all paved, and uh, <coughs> it's it was a nice road. We got it was you could. Probably compared to most of the throughway with it, you know, with the nice and smooth and yeah. So, so really, what you were doing, your effort was to help with logistics to provide roads and transportation, yeah. good yeah. transportation. And for, well, in the quarry, we did we crushed the rock right. to make the blacktop for right. roads and concrete and all that. Yeah. Now, as you're doing this, you're driving around, you're driving your tractor trailer at that point, you're going up and down this highway. Did you ever get ambushed or anything like that ever happen to you? No, and um, me and another guy went, we were two weeks down in, into the Mekong Delta. And uh, that's the one thing I noticed on the papers that we, I can't, I don't remember now if the, if the Montgomery County VA still has them. There's a book about that thick of all kinds of papers that, about what I did. Mm -hmm. But that part must have been a secret mission because it wasn't in, in the book. And I was looking through it, you know, and I thought, huh, that's funny. And anyways, um, I was a truck driver and he drove those. We just, all we were doing was opening up a road. It wasn't like we were doing any finish work. Well, we just had to open this road up to, for, you know, for people to be able to get around and... Clearing a jungle? Well, no, we weren't clearing it. Well, it was jungle, but it was a, it was like a, not much more a goat path. Oh, so you're widening it. And we just opened it up so people, you could drive trucks and jeeps and machinery down it. And we were 
down there about two weeks and they brought us meals all the time and we saw a lot of people don't know who they were in the jungle here and there and uh, they um, nobody ever bothered us now, if, if you're in the jungle and you're doing this work you're widening this 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 path making it an actual road yeah did you were you aware of uh, agent orange at that point did you no I wasn't no. And did the, the equipment, did you notice anything about your equipment that may have been covered with this stuff, or did you... Did, did I really didn't, because I okay. never even gave it a thought, you know, I was just right. pretty much concerned. When we were, when the guy was running the dozer, I was his shotgun, I had to ride. But a lot of times we'd have to keep moving right along with him, and uh, I'd have to keep up wherever he, because most of the time it was just a straight shot through when he'd roll the... Because he had a roam plow on the D7 and it would roll the junk out of the road over on right. one side. And I would just keep going behind him. Occasionally I'd get stuck and we'd have to push it out with the, pull it out or push it out with the dozer. Did you have a weapon with you while you were doing this? I had an M14. And he had an M14, but most of the time it was just one of us, you know, with it. With it if so, like it would be in, uh, he had it. Like it was a little place you could put a rifle beside you on the, by the driver's seat, but I had a a jump, well, we call it a jump seat or a partner seat or whatever you want to call it, with that I sat on. And uh, Never had to use the M14? No. Oh, you're fortunate. A couple times, um, well, before we went to the, out to the quarry to work, um, I, my, some of the trucks we had were pretty old, and they called them DX and turned them in to get new ones. So mine was turned in for about a week before we got the new ones. So I pulled guard duty on what they call, it's an iron ore and clay compound called laterite, which is um, equivalent to gravel here. Mm -hmm. And um, they, they needed somebody to pull guard duty. And uh, so me and a guy from Plattsburgh, was uh, he was another truck driver. We had both our trucks were on, so we pulled guard duty. And we had a, a bunker setting up on a knoll. This this laterite pit was probably it was bigger than that football field up on West Monroe Street. It was bigger than that, wider. But it was cut down in about the same depth for off of the street down into there. And um, it was right, maybe, I don't even think it was a quarter mile to the jungle. And out in the jungle was supposed to have been, be a con. Anybody in there was supposed to have been the enemy. And uh, different, we had a sandbag bunker, had the drain holes in the bottom where they'd leave a bag out so if it rained it could get to go out. And then they had just about, Oh, probably up above. So you would stand about this high. You had the holes you could look out if you had, well, I guess, gun built for put a gun through, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, we'd sleep in shifts in a couple hours, then wake the other guy. We said all kinds of weird things would happen at night. You'd hear metal rattling, and I looked outside. It was an armadillo. Just a lot of them wrong, and it was bone plates rattled. It sounded like metal. And one time I woke up, and the other guy had just dozed off. And I woke up. He, he didn't even wake me up. He just dozed off when 
But I, I woke up and I'm looking. There was a tree, probably, probably a hundred feet from the bunker, and it was probably 50, 60 feet tall. And with a crotch in it. Out of the top, out of that crotch, was army ants. I'm talking like six inches stream, six inches wide. Come out of that tree, down the tree, to our into our bunker. They went right in the door and out one of the holes, the water holes, and it continued out. It was all the way down in the jungle. So that stream at that, I don't know how many million ants that had been, but they were, and they just kept coming. We were probably ten minutes. So I jabbed the other guy and woke him up, and startled him. I said, look at the army ants. Right away he was going to grab his guy. I said, relax. <laughs> you know, it was a lot of stuff like that. You know, you joke around and it was, it was, it was something I, you know, one time did. I'm not sure I'd want to do it again, but one time was fine. And even um, one morning I heard voices. Now we're up on a hill about like this and the jungle's over here. And uh, I hear voices and I'm listening and listening. I couldn't, they were kind of muffled like because they were quite, a, they were, whatever it was into, in the jungle partially hid it anyways. So I woke him up, I said, hey Bob, Bob, the guy's name was Bob. And uh, I woke him up and I said, listen, somebody, there's not supposed to be anybody out there. He said, no, we're supposed to shoot. He said, we got orders to shoot first and ask questions later. I said, wait a minute. I'm not shooting somebody like that, you know. So without knowing at least who I'm shooting at. Right. So the guy, I could see, hear the voices. We're getting right to the edge of the jungle. So we had an M60 machine gun. And I just put it up in the window and I pulled the receiver back, let it slam forward, and I said, halt. And the guy goes, don't shoot, don't shoot, we're Americans. Oh, it was right. a whole patrol of infantry. They were 10 kilometers off where they were supposed to be. They were supposed to be 10 kilometers north. The lieutenant had took them that far out of bay. They were lost. They were lost. They were lost. The guy said, well, where are we? I said, well, you're a little bit south of Long Bend, or Ben, yeah, Long Bend base. He said, we are? We're supposed to be in north of a Nye Bay or someplace, I forgot. Or, um, Supposed to be actually north of that quarry where I was working, which was about three miles north of that. It was seven miles from where we were. And uh, the guys, I said, you know, I got orders to shoot first, ask questions later. I said, but I'm not too good at following orders, so think yourself that. Good thing, huh? Yeah. I would have felt like crap if I just got over here. I guess. I'm going to fast forward just a little bit. Um, to January okay. of 1968. Okay. And for the benefit of our viewers, this interview was actually taking place on January 30th, 2020. Exactly 52 years ago today, Tet the Tet Offensive started, yeah. and which is interesting that we're sitting here today doing this. And it, I was reading about Long Ben, and Long Ben was actually attacked the following day. They had a... Tell me, but you have, you have, any, size, you have any recollections? Size, oh, yeah. yeah. They had a pretty good size ammo dump there. And it was like pits. You know, so it was a big earthen berms built around these 
these bunkers where they had all this ammo and stuff and napalm and we were we just finished supper and we're walking along we had them our bunkers our building our barracks were on a row and uh and it was a walkway it was probably oh maybe 50 feet wide and then we had bunkers and those, the other side of the bunkers was a dip and it was a railroad tractor and uh, we were walking down away from the mess hall, probably, it's probably six, eight hundred feet to the other where our showers and all that, our train, latrines and all were. And we're walking that way, me and two or three other guys just walk on, shooting the breeze. And all of a sudden up in the air, above, and now there's a hill between us and Longman, because I met um, Zeon, this quarry at Zeon, a little place called Zeon. And we could see the, the outer end of the Benoit Air Base. We used to see the 104s taking off all the time. <coughs> and um, all of a sudden there's a mushroom cloud. I mean, it got, it's got to be four to 600 feet high. And we're walking along, and one of the guys said, what's that? I said, actually it looked like a mushroom. I said, it can't, it couldn't have been an atomic bomb of any type, not, they would, we wouldn't have done that, I knew that, you know, and uh, just standing there kind of in shock, and all of a sudden, there was a shock wave hit us. It was like somebody walked up to you, and just took their hands and popped you out on the shoulders. It about knocked you down. It did knock over lockers and all kinds of stuff wow. inside the buildings. So this was the ammo dump blowing up. That was when they blew the ammo dump and they hit the napalm. That, that was the napalm yeah. blowing up. What I had read was that there were a bunch of VC sappers and maybe some North Vietnamese as well who went into that ammo dump, planted the charges, yeah. and some of the Americans found some of them but apparently didn't get them all and they still blew it up. <laughs> that was a huge explosion. Oh, well, we were, like I said, we were seven, we were seven miles from Longbend, and the ammo dump was kind of on the other side, so it was probably eight or ten miles away from where we were, and we'd had that shockwave hit us, so that was quite an explosion. What are the recollections of this Tet Offensive do you, do you have, Charlie? We had, um, we had to start carrying our rifles most of the time, which we normally we didn't, you know. Right. We were working there on this little compound that was, oh heck. It was probably, maybe at the widest point, maybe a quarter mile and three quarters of a mile long. And, were, and uh, we didn't, most of the time we were working, we didn't even carry our weapons, you know. They were back in our barracks and all that, and which was, you know, on the other end of the compound. And, uh, but everything we did, we had to be, we had to carry our rifle after that. Make sure we had plenty of ammo close by. So, did you get martyred? Did Actually, no, at all? not there. No. What we, they were the offensive flares. You know, they fired them out of a cannon. We used to see them all the time. And one morning, I don't know if it was one, two, three o'clock, something like that. There was one house. Like somebody had a big bell and they hit it with a sledgehammer. One of those mortar casings, it's about 
that big around in about that long. Came because they fired this thing up and then it was out, it exploded itself out into, all right. That casing fell out of the sky, came right through the roof of the building, which was only 10 mil or 10 roofs. Came right through and hit the concrete, everybody was sleeping. And uh, two of the guys almost went went deaf from it. Wow. It was it was like we were I was three bunk three buildings away. Of course they were them ones with the slotted side so you could you could talk to one guy in another building with no problem. But just about everybody in the camp woke up that quick. <laughs> and uh, but we used to get incoming fire. You know, we used to have being the engineers and we we're supposed to be working, um, the infantry and mechanized cab would every so often would bring a couple guys would come in and they'd sit there for two or three days, take like a little R and R, just pulling our guard duty. And uh, we had sometimes we'd have M sixty tanks, a couple of them in there. Sometimes we'd have three, four infantry guys, but they were pulling our guard duty. And but they were Actually, it's like taking a break, you know. And uh, we had a, about a mile out across the rice paddy was a Arvin quarry on the side hill, and they had all these big floodlights. And one night we had some incoming fire, and we had two M60, M60 tanks in there. And the sergeant on one tank, he says, they can't do that. He said, I can see where they're coming, right from them where them lights are. He gets up in the tank and he spins the turret around and gets us a 50 caliber. And you could tell the guy had used it once or twice because he went three rounds and he put the first light out. It was about a mile away. And he went right down. It was 12 lights and he put them all out, one right after the other. He said, I'll teach them to mess with us, you know. And he went, <laughs> Some of them, two or three of them in a row, there he put out one shot at a time. Boom, boom, boom. So, but um, stuff like that. And we had. Um, you know, we get incoming fire other times. We had some guys come in. They had Jeeps with the big infrared lights on them. And uh, sometimes we'd have, well, probably, well, once a month we'd have a couple of guys come in with them. And uh, they were, that was pretty cool. It was like a big 150, 125 million candle power, I think it was. And then they had these shutters on them. And when they, they were shining it, the light would be there. And they flipped this shutter, and you need a glass, a special glasses to look. And anything, any heat signatures would show up like animals and people. And uh, it was it was interesting to uh, to do all this kind of stuff. And I need uh, to pick a memory. What would, what would be your most vivid memory from your experience in the uh, Good or bad? Yeah, let's see. I really. Can't say I had any really bad experiences when I was there. And uh, I mean, I had a few to give you a little start. Um, I lost a rear axle off under a trailer one time. Land over, run over landmine. Had I think the only thing that saved me was 30 tons of cement. We're hauling at night, and I had to, there was this roadway. It was just big enough for a jeep, really. Oh, well, you've taken tractor trailers down there. We had a, it was a T. I had to come like this and come this way. And of course, the tractor I could cut as far as I could, but the trailer still took the corner. And uh, we'd been 
running like that for, oh, I think a couple of days. I don't know how many trips we made through there. But I was going down through there and uh, it was just about dark. And I made the normal swing out around there and hit that. They had a mine and an intersection there off the side, right where the trailer run. And all of a sudden I was at a dead stop because I couldn't pull 30 ton of cement with no wheels. <laughs> I just jumped out and unlocked the trailer, the fifth wheel and just drove away, left the trailer right there. What was I going to do, you know? So we can wheel back an hour later. The weird thing is there wasn't, wasn't a mark on anything. The trailer was still there. There wasn't a mark on the ground. 30 ton of cement. Bags in the box, they, when they ship them in the ocean, they cover them, they're in plywood. All that stuff was gone. 30 ton, well, figure how many bags are on a, in a ton of cement. They're 80 pound bags. And uh, I had 30 ton. That's a lot of bags of cement. You know, it goes to show that no matter what job you had in Vietnam, in country, it's, you were exposed to this kind of thing, no matter where you were or what you were doing. Yeah, we, um, we used to, that, that cement we were hauling was going to a RMKBRJ, which was six of the largest construction companies. I don't know if it was where they were all from, a lot of them from the United States. Mm -hmm. It was the first letter from a lot of them. I had a guy tell me, I used to work for it, he knew all about that stuff. and. Uh, he told me what all these names, what the letters were the first letter for a name of some big company. And we, um, we had a supply depot that was attached to Long Bay. And uh, we were hauling this one, taking the cement over to them. They had a lot, they had a lot of equipment, their own trucks and everything, but we were supplying, we were get, unloading this stuff and taking it to them. And uh, one night, just after dark, we got a call and said, uh, just go back to your unit because uh, they just had, they just got mortared. There was a railroad, here's a compound, and a railroad track run right alongside it. And we would come down and turn and go in the gate right there. They mortared that intersection. I mean, they put a hole in there as big as this, deep as this room. And uh, so we couldn't get in and out there. I mean, they probably had other ways, but that's the way we had to go. And uh, two days later, it was all fixed, and we we kept going there. But um, given that you were so close to Saigon, did you ever actually literally go to Saigon? Oh yeah, many times. What was that like? Pretty big city, right? Yeah. Busy. Uh, we would just got. I just pretty much just drove right straight through. Mm -hmm. And uh, down on the, I can't think of the name of the town now, but anyways, it was a, a little place on the Saigon River where they brought stuff in on the boats and they unloaded it. And uh, we had to go down and get empty empty 55-gallon drums, tractor-trailer loads. Um, well, we used them, we did, we filled them, cut the end on them, we fill them with gravel and put them around helipads to protect the helicopters. So, anyways, uh, <coughs> it, was, uh, it was just me and one other guy would, were doing this. We made 
few trips down there, and we'd get like 50, 60 barrels on a load. They'd be, they were empty barrels, so it wasn't any, like there was any weight. But um, go through town, and right down through Saigon, and the, the one time I had the lieutenant with me, first time I went down, and uh, I had a flatbed trailer, but it was like five feet tall to the deck. So I'm driving through town, and Lambrettas and people and little cars and all kinds of stuff all over the place. So you really had to be careful you don't run over them. And uh, well, they flow like animals in around the vehicles. Because, you know, and those uh, black Mercedes come out of this one street, was behind me, and he disappeared. All the way through the, the big intersection, there must have been about six streets came all together in this one intersection. And after we got through there, all of a sudden he reappeared. He, was, he went under my trailer and stayed underneath my trailer all the way down through there. I said to that lieutenant, where'd that car go? What car? I said, that black Mercedes. He said, I don't know. And then he saw him coming up underneath my trailer. He said, he was underneath your trailer. <laughs> Things like that. Wow. And um, it was, you could drive, if you, like I drove, had a, I drove low bed to haul machinery and stuff. And we were going through one time, and uh, the little kids, if you stopped at a light, little kids would jump up on your truck, and they'd steal chains and binders and stuff like that. And uh, I saw that happen on a truck, and the kid got away with a chain and a binder. And uh, when I, when they said we were going to, I had to go with them the next time, I took my chains and I hooked them around the, the beam on the front of the trailer where they sat down in a pocket, the chain all laid there, but they couldn't tell that the chain was hooked on the beam. This little kid would pull up the light, the little kid grabs the chain and a binder, puts it over his shoulder, and he starts running towards the back of the truck. Too bad the chain was only 20 foot long. <laughs> and it, I startled him because it grabbed, it knocked him right off his feet, you know? <laughs> One of the other guys that was behind us, behind me said, what did you do to him? I said, I didn't do anything. He did it all. I said, I just hooked the chain so he couldn't take it, and that was it. But things like that, what right. they would do, they would yeah. it would um, take anything they could get to sell to make money. A lot of the vets have said to me that they they enjoyed their contact with some of the South Vietnamese people. Yes, Especially I the kids. Yep. What was your experience? Well, we had, um, I, I know, they had young young people and older people too, but had young people working on the base and all that, you know, here and there. And um, like the women would do laundry and things like that. And the guys would work around, they'd do all, well, we had guys that would do change tires. And um, they were, some of them weren't so careful. We had two of them died in our, in our motor pool because Instead of putting the tire in the in the cage, because they had lock rings on the side, the new ones aren't there. New ones are just like the car tires, but they, the older ones had a lock ring that had to be locked in. You tap it with a hammer before you, and if you didn't let it blow up easy, sometimes it wouldn't lock when it popped out. And uh, we had these cage PSP, these beach matting cages that we. You roll them in to protect yourself, but these guys wouldn't 
pick, they'd have to pick the tire up and roll it in. And they would just have it laying down there, and they'd lean over and they'd put the air in. And if it blew, it's a lot of pressure. You pick 110 pounds of air in a tire, and it blows that ring off, makes a big, right. you know. And we had one, not actually in our company, the B company was attached to ours. That was the first one that happened. And uh, it, it killed him because it came off and it caught him right across here, broke both his arms and his chest oh. and everything. Oh. Yeah, and uh, then another time, I, was, I just walked in the motor pool and the motorcycle was there. And we were talking about this and that. And uh, all of a sudden there was a kip boom What it was, the guy did the same thing. But when, and we ran, well, this building was probably 100 feet long, our motor, motor pool where you could back the trucks and get them out of the rain and all that to work on them. And uh, he was on the opposite end. We ran down there, and when we got to the other end of the building, the guy was still this high off the ground coming down. So he was you know, dead. That, that killed him around the spot went on the way up before he went up, you know, like that. And I'll tell you, they were really strict on that after that. I bet. And, uh, How was your Christmas over there? Uh, what did we do at Christmas? We had, I was in the, I was, um, let's see, where was he? We, I was in the quarry at Christmas time. And we used to have, um, sometimes on the weekend, they'd have a, a steak, bake for us, you know, we'd have, they have soda and steak and potatoes and you get them cooked any way you want, you cook them on a charcoal pit there, you know, and uh, other than that, was, it was good. Nice, good. You know, the biggest problem was the cookies that came from home <laughs> was a pile of crumbs. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> they were just crushed. <laughs> yeah, but that, I'm not saying that happened there, it could have happened right here in the, country, in the States, you know, with the Right. Going on the mail and all. I'm sure. So. Well, speaking of home, how was going home for you? Near Actually, Vietnam to go back to. The, did you go back to the states or, or did you end up? In no, Germany? I went. I came back. I was on went on leave for a month. Any issues coming home? I know a lot of people. No, that, a lot of guys did. Right. And uh, a guy that was stationed. My brother was at the same time was stationed in Germany, in the town of Augsburg, Germany. And he told me that a guy that just came into his outfit just a month before that, this was, I was still in Vietnam when we used to write letters back and forth. And um, he said um, when he came back, he was one of the guys that they, that people fought with and spit on and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I didn't, I don't know, maybe it was because we got in at about two o'clock in the morning and in Oakland, back into Oakland, and um, went to our stuff and, you know, did all the paperwork and the physical checks we had to do. And uh, then we shipped right out. Oh, good, good. So, Any long-lasting effects for you, Charlie, from, the, from your experience in Vietnam that you've carried with you all these years? You know, actually, 
I don't want things bother me. And so there's probably things about some of the other guys that bothered some of the other guys that didn't bother me. Mm -hmm. I, um, well, like I said, I had heart trouble. And, and the doctor told me, you've got to learn not to let things bother you. Because up till I was 16, if you looked at me cross-eyed, I'd belt you one. Just, my brother and I used to have knockdown, drag-out fights before. And then about the time I was 16, all of a sudden we became best friends. But I uh, had to learn to control that. that <laughs> Not so uncommon. I, yeah. I think a lot of people go through that sort of thing. So we, uh, but uh, I didn't, I don't let things bother me. Right. And um, I never really had any problem. I mean, there's a lot of things I remember going on and this and that. And I've seen some stuff that, you know, would really make some people sick or dog. But I just figured it was the way things were and I let it go with that. So So let's let's wrap up with this question. What would you like for people who are watching this, what would you like them to remember about the Vietnam War? I think we were there to do do the right thing. But like I said, we had our, our hands were kind of tied. There was a lot of things we couldn't do because of uh, a lot of the resistance right here in this country. But other than that, I think we were there for the right reason. That's right. all I know. Okay. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you for doing this, Charlie. I appreciate you taking the time. It means yeah. a lot to me. It really does. Okay. Thank you very much. And Have that's fun. another story from a Little Falls Vietnam veteran. Thank you for watching. Hope to see you next time. Through My Eyes is a monthly broadcast brought to you by My Little Falls. Episodes are released the second Monday of each month. 100% of the advertising revenue from sponsors of this show is donated to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. To support the show as a sponsor, contact Deborah at 315-508-5310.